Chapter six of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter six. Dieppe, September eighteen twelve. Note from Monsieur Pasquier. Dieppe. Change in my education. Spring in Bretagne, historical forest, Pelagian champagnes, setting of the moon at sea. On the 4th of September, 1812, I received the following note from M. Pasquier, Prefect of Police. Cabinet of the Prefect. The Prefect of Police invites M. de Chateaubriand to take the trouble of coming to his bureau either today at four o'clock in the afternoon or tomorrow at nine o'clock in the morning. The purport of this note was that the Prefect of Police desired to communicate to me an order to quit Paris. I accordingly retired to Dieppe, the ancient name of which was Berteville, but afterwards, about four hundred years ago, it was called Dieppe from the English word deep, water. In 1788 I had been in garrison here with the 2nd Battalion of my regiment. A residence in this city with its clean and well-lighted streets, its brick houses, and shops filled with ivory, carried me back to the days of my youth. When I walked abroad, I encountered the ruins of the Chateau d'Arc, with its thousand associations, nor could I forget that Dieppe was the cradle of Duquesne. When I returned home to my lodging, I had before me the widespread ocean. From the table at which I was seated, I contemplated the sea which had greeted me at my birth, and which washed the shores of Great Britain, where I have so long lived in exile. My eyes wandered over the waves which had carried me to America, rejected me in Europe, and then taken me back to the shores of Africa and Asia. All hail to thee, O ocean, my cradle and my image. I will tell thee the remainder of my story. If I speak falsely, thy waves, intermingled with my whole career, will accuse me of imposture to the men who are yet to come. My mother never relinquished her cherished desire that I should receive a classical education. The navy, for which I was destined, might not, after all, she said, suit my taste, and it appeared desirable to her that, under all circumstances, I should be fitted for another career. Her piety led her to wish that I should decide for the church, she therefore proposed that I should be sent to college, where I might learn mathematics, drawing, the English language, and military exercises. She did not venture to speak of Greek or Latin, for fear of alarming my father, but resolved that I should commence secretly, and when I had made some progress, to proceed openly. My father agreed to her proposal, and it was determined that I should enter the College of Dol. Preference was given to this city, because it lay on the road from Saint-Malo to Combourg. During the very severe winter which preceded my scholastic seclusion, a fire broke out in the hotel where we resided. I was saved by my elder sister, who carried me through the midst of the flames. Monsieur de Chateaubriand retired to his chateau, desired his wife to come to him, but he could not join her till the spring. The spring in Bretagne is more genial than in the environs of Paris, and the blossoms are more than three weeks in advance. The five birds which announced the coming spring, the swallow, the lorist, the cuckoo, the quail, and the nightingale, arrived with the breakers which sought shelter in the gulfs of the Armorican Peninsula. The ground was clad with daisies, pansies, jonquils, narcissus, hyacinths, ranunculus, anemones, like the wild spots which surround St. John of Lateran and the Holy Cross of Jerusalem at Rome. The glades were diversified with the blended tints of tall and elegant firs, intermingled with the flowers of the broom and the firs, so brilliant that they might have been mistaken for gold-winged butterflies. The hedges, which abounded with wild strawberries, raspberries, and sweet-smelling violets, were decked with the hawthorn, honeysuckle, and briar, whose dark and entwining stems were covered with blossoms and magnificent foliage. Bees, birds, and butterflies animated every place, and the numerous birds' nests arrested the steps of children at every turn. Here and there, in some sheltered spot, 
the laurel rose and the myrtle flourished in the open air as in greece the fig tree yielded its fruit as in provence and every apple tree with its carmine flowers resembled the bouquet of a village bride in the twelfth century the cantons of fougeres rennes becherel dinan saint-malo and dole were occupied by the forest of brechelion it had been the battlefield of the franks and of the people of the domone waste relates that the savage the fountain of berenton and the golden basin might be seen here an historical document of the fifteenth century usement et coutume de la forêt de Bresilien, confirms the romance of rue it states that it is large and of vast extent has four castles a great number of beautiful ponds fine hunting tracks where no noxious bees are found nor flies molest the traveller two hundred forests and as many springs especially the fountain of belenton by the side of which the chevalier pontus commenced his campaigns to this day the country preserves the traits of its origin intersected by wooded trenches it presents from afar the appearance of a forest and reminds one of england it is the abode of fairies and you will learn by and by that i actually encountered a sylph there the narrow valleys are watered by little rivers which are not navigable and separated by heaths and lofty forests of holly and vines along the coast rise a succession of lighthouses watch-towers dolmens roman buildings ruins of castles of the middle ages and belfries of the times of the renaissance and the whole is bounded by the sea pliny says of britannia peninsule spectatrice de l'océan between the ocean and the land extend the pelagian champagnes the indecisive frontiers of the two elements here the field-lark and the lark of the ocean fly side by side the plough and the boat are a stone's throw from each other furrowing the land and the water the navigator and the shepherd mutually interchange their language the sailor speaks of the vague mouton and the shepherd of the flotte de moutons the diverse coloured sands the variegated banks of marine shells the seaweed the fringes of silver foam mark the golden or verdant outline of the wavy corn i know not in what island of the mediterranean i have seen a bas-relief representing the nereides attaching festoons to the hem of the garment of cirrus but the object of the greatest admiration in bretagne is the moon rising on the land and setting in the sea constituted by god arbitress of the deep the moon has her wanes her vapours her rays her eclipses like the sun but unlike him she retires not solitary a cortege of brilliant stars accompanies her to her rest in proportion as on my native shore she gradually descends the sky she increases its silence which she communicates to the sea soon she sinks to the horizon intersects it shows only the half of her countenance overcome by sleep she gently inclines and then disappears in the soft swelling of the waves the starry retinue of this queen before plunging to follow her seemed to stop suspended on the crested waves to wish their last good night the moon has no sooner sunk to rest than a stiff breeze springs up and effaces the image of the constellations as the lamps of the festal hall are extinguished when the queen of the feast has withdrawn her shining presence End of chapter six